right now, radiologists are definitely at this breaking point where volumes continue to increase, reimbursements continue to decline. It's just this perfect storm of problems, I think, ahead. And without technology, it's hard to see how radiologists get more help. Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science around the globe. Hello, and welcome to the Health Innovation Podcast. I'm Jared Saul, and I'll be taking the mic this week to talk to my guest, Dr. Gerson. I am the head of the Healthcare and Life Sciences Startup BD team here at AWS. I'm a former radiologist and entrepreneur, and I've been here at Amazon for five years. It's my pleasure to talk to Dr. today. He is the co-founder and CEO of Rad AI, a startup focused on improving the workflow and efficiencies of radiologists exam interpretation, reporting, and management. Doctor is a serial entrepreneur, and he's had many successful exits. And I'm really looking forward to hearing more about your story, both as an entrepreneur and the work you're doing at Rad AI. So why don't we go ahead and dig in to kick off? Maybe you could just share a little bit about your story. I know you've been doing startup work for a long time. What attracted you to that? Did you always want to be an entrepreneur? Yeah, that's a great question. As far back as I can remember, I have wanted to build things and be an entrepreneur. You know, I think for me, a lot of it started with my parents and the fact that they too were entrepreneurs. So for me, a lot of it just came naturally. I felt like building things was just sort of what you did. You solve problems and you tried to figure out ways in which you could solve or overcome them. And that is the thing that really excites me about startups. So as far back as I can remember, in fact, my first, I guess, quasi startup was when I was in high school and ended up starting a company that would translate American movies into Turkish subtitled movies because I went to boarding school in Istanbul, Turkey. And so that got me interested in business. And so I started hiring a lot of my friends at the time to start helping me with these translations and eventually turned into a pretty decent business for a high school student. (laughs) It was actually quite successful. That's awesome. And so when you finished your schooling, did you spend time in like a traditional work environment or did you just always go out and pave your own way? Yeah. So I've pretty much always paved my own way and it wasn't necessarily uh, by design. I think so. I, I basically did start working somewhere. It was like a summer job that was a few months. But within the first few months, I realized that I could do something similar, but in a way that would actually be uh, closer to what I thought they should be doing as a company. It was like a medium-sized company at the time. Um, Took some of the learnings from that. And uh, this is like back, I'll be aging myself here, but this is back in 2000 is when I started my first company. So I I was 21 at the time. It wasn't called a startup. It was just called starting a company, right? It was also in, in the midst of the 2000 bubble, right? Where everything was collapsing. And I thought that was a great time to start a business, apparently. And my parents were not thrilled at the time, to be clear, that I was doing that. But ultimately, those early learnings, I started out of the bedroom and was able to build a company from the ground up that was one of the world's early domain registrars. Full and ultimately, I was able to exit from that and pursue other opportunities and have really been doing startups ever since. Rad AI is my fifth startup. 
That's really impressive. And one thing I noticed in your career, you have gone from inception to exit in the startups you started. I think there's a notion that some people are good at the ideation and the early part. Maybe other people are better at taking it the distance. You seem to be somebody who likes to stay through the entire process. Is that accurate? Have you reflected on that or is it just the way it unfolds? It's a good question. I tend to be the type of person that is the just-in-time learning, right? I actually enjoy that quite a bit. So if there is something that I don't know how to do or have not encountered before, I'm usually not afraid to just dive in and just try to figure it out, whether through reading books or talking to other folks in the space that might be experts. And that's another thing that I thought most people would think that way. It turns <laughs> out a lot of people don't think that way. And I guess this is, these are the things that I've as I've, as I've gotten older and have done a few startups now and have talked to other founders, I'm realizing those are actually traits that are somewhat unique and not just everybody has or shares. But yeah, that's a good question. As I think about it, I don't know if the big question I always get is if Rad AI one day does go public and becomes this very large organization, is that still something that, that you'd want to do and enjoy doing? And that's still a question mark. To be fair, I don't know if if we get to that point. And ultimately, I feel like we have the makings of a company that could be generational and really go that extra mile. But whether or not I'll be both enjoy doing that, uh, as well as I think it's important to be good at it too. I ultimately want Rad AI to succeed. If that means that it's better run by someone else, maybe I have the opportunity to see how it's done at those stages. I'd certainly be open to any of those things. But yeah, so far, I've really enjoyed the whole evolution of the startup. There's lots of parts of it that excite me. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, I think it's interesting too, when you think about that journey with one or many companies, there's phases where you have to wear all the hats from marketing mm-hmm. officer to HR to <laughs> technology. And I think everybody has things that they have no special reason to be good at, but they have to roll for season to do and things that they really gravitate to. For me, the people management has always been the thing that was hard um, and the sales. Do you have areas that you feel like you're higher against your weaknesses or you've developed more and more competency over time, even though it's maybe not your natural like sweet spot? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, This is one of the areas where I think finding a good co-founder is helpful. Because my co-founder, Jeff, I think we complement one another in great ways. Jeff became the youngest radiologist in US history. So med school at the age of 16. And then um, he ended up getting an MBA and then did graduate work in AI. So he's someone that understands radiology as well as, as AI. And quite frankly, can do many things well. It's not just that. So he's whether we're talking to our lawyers or having to build financial models. He's great at all of those things. And I think the area where uh, we complement each other well is in those areas where you know he is able to sit down and think much more deeply about those areas, allows me to think about the other areas. The part that I probably enjoy most is around the, the strategy and the vision of where this is all going. Because oftentimes, as a startup, you really do have to make sure that you have a real strategy. I know uh, this might sound obvious, but it doesn't come naturally to some companies. You have to know a little bit, and I don't worry too much about competition. Like I don't lose sleep over that, but 
But I do like to have a sense of how our company can continue to thrive and understand the different moving pieces. A lot of it is like a chess game, right? Trying to understand where all these other pieces are at and where you should have at least a couple moves ahead already planned out so that mm-hmm. if, if A happens, you have a plan for how to mitigate that or B happens, you have a plan for how to mitigate that. And for me, I'd say the things that I enjoy least is probably more around that like financial modeling, reading contracts. Those are the parts or maybe some of the HR. Because mm-hmm. to your point, have, we've, I've had to wear all those hats at one point or another. Yeah. But those are not parts of it that excite me. I, I think I get more excited about product and the strategy piece of it more than anything else. Yeah. Let Jeff handle the HR. Seems like something he'd love. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned the co-founder element, and I wanted to talk about that a little bit. I've always been a believer in having a co-founder, mostly because mm-hmm. I am acutely aware of my limitations. Mm-hmm. I know you've done it both ways, and Jeff is uniquely qualified in so many areas. Mm-hmm. Could you share a little bit about how you met and like the crystallization of this particular business thesis and getting that off the ground? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Jeff and I met when we were at a software boot camp together. So we were writing at the time, it was Ruby code and just really took a liking to one another. At the time, I was working on a different startup that was in the hardware space. So it was this idea of creating a network of smart portable batteries. And I had thought about building that out and invited Jeff to join me on that journey, which we took through Y Combinator and raised some funds. And we were over in over 1,000 locations in San Francisco. So even to this day, when I mentioned the name Doblet, a lot of people are like, oh, wait, I've used that service when I was in San Francisco. And it was actually a really interesting idea. And I still am bullish on the concept. But I think the problem and the thing that we learned was that we were not experts in hardware. And when you do a hardware startup, you need someone that intimately understands hardware. You have to be much more intentional with hardware. We treated hardware like software. And I think that was a big mistake for us because we kept running into these issues around the hardware not working. And so we did end up ultimately selling that to one of our international partners. But at the end of that, I was actually going for the first time, was just going to go work somewhere like a normal person. That's what I had told my wife I was going to do, quite frankly. And then one day, Jeff came to me and he was on a flight because he was doing overnight shifts in Greensboro as a radiologist. And he basically said he was reading this paper, um, a, a research paper on AI and felt like the work that he had just done, like some of that could have been automated uh, using AI now that AI's kind of gotten to this point where it's becoming more and more useful. And so he came to me with this idea around how he thought we could have an impact in radiology, talked to me a little bit about, and this was the part that quite frankly convinced my wife, told me that there was one radiologist for like 10 million people in Malawi and how that was just like mm-hmm. unacceptable and how if we could use AI to help essentially reduce the number of repetitive things radiologists needed to do, that that would allow them to have more time to do more exams or just maybe even just improve the quality of the exams by having AI help and augment the radiologist. And I kind of made the case to my wife about this and 
At first, she was not happy, but eventually she got on board. And that's how we really kicked off Rad AI. Uh, we saw a lot of folks that were focused on image analysis. And being a radiologist, mm-hmm. Jeff was just, he just felt like that did not add any value. And it's funny because we went to our first potential partner, a, a radiology group, and we had a list of these 12 ideas. And we said, which of these ideas sound interesting? And there were a lot of them that they thought were interesting. But when we asked the question, how much would you pay for this? That's when they said, oh, you want us to pay for it. (laughs) And that's usually, I think, the mismatch is like finding the sort of the economic buyer and then also making sure that the value lines up with what the expectations are. We found in that particular scenario, when we went through the exercise, there were a lot of things we felt like we could build relatively quickly and get out into the world. The thing that was the most complicated, and quite frankly, we didn't know if we could do or not, was what we ended up building, which is the automated impressions product, our first core product that Rad AI essentially invented. Like We invented that category. We mm-hmm. thought it was something that if could be done and the radiology group at the time agreed, if you could do this, it would be immensely valuable. And that is something we would pay for. And so we took that as sort of, I mean, because that's the reality as a startup, if you can't provide a product that people are willing to pay for, then you're not going to be in business very long. So as much as, of course, we want to have an impact and improve patient lives, and those are all the things that come as a result of being a successful company. You have to first figure out the economics of how you can sustainably build products. And so we found that um, you know, for us, that first automated impressions product was a thing that resonated with a lot of folks. And so we set out to build it. And it took us about two and a half years to build mm-hmm. that initial version of the product. And what was great was we had my co-founder, Jeff, he was the first user of the product. So when he was doing his overnight shifts, he would be using the product. And every time he used it, there were things that we needed to change and iterate on. And so we finally got it to the point where we're like, okay, this is a product that radiologists can use because Jeff was using it and he loved it. He said, this is great. It helps save me time. I'm not as burnt out because I'm not having to speak as much. All the things that we thought were valuable if you can automate the impressions section of the radiology report, turns out you're essentially helping the radiologist do one third of the exam. And it's the part of the exam that actually requires the most cognitive load because you're having to synthesize and really think about the ordering and what you want to say. I'd argue, and this is what Jeff has said, it's probably the most important part of the report, just to make sure you get that right. Um, And so what we found there was as we did that, we discovered very quickly that after Jeff used it and he was great or it was great for him, we turned five other radiologists onto it. And we were excited because we're like, great, we're going to have five new users. And within the first week, we lost four of the five users. (laughs) And the fifth one was hanging on by a string, just like, I think out of maybe partially out of guilt that because he knows Jeff and is a friend, it was like, oh, I'll keep using this thing. But What we realized very quickly is that each radiologist has such a different style and just so unique in the way that they create their reports. And so we went back to the drawing board and tried to figure out like, what are all the things that 
with each radiologist, we interviewed them one by one to understand what are the things we could do. And ultimately, eventually all five became users, but it did take us, it was a cycle. We had to iterate over and over on a weekly basis mm. to get them to finally be, become not just users. At this point, I would say not only are they users, but a lot of our customers say that, that they cannot practice radiology without our product. Like we, mm. we very seldomly have any downtime. In fact, our first downtime happened recently. And it was the first time in two years that we had any downtime. And you can imagine people were really frustrated because now this has become like a really important part of their workflow. Yeah. I'm sure, Jared, you know this intimately that the <laughs> radiologist, the workflow, the workflow is so refined that any sort of deviation from what you're used to can really cause a lot of headaches. And so once you get used to something, and that's also why it's so hard to break into the workflow is because radiologists are already so accustomed to what they do, adding anything new in could really disrupt them. And so that's why we, and this is again, having a co-founder that's a radiologist and understands the way radiologists think and look at these things was instrumental because a lot of the things that he wanted to do to me were quite frankly, counterintuitive because for me, I in the beginning, we talked a lot about whether or not the impression should be customized to radiologists or just a standard output. And I always felt like if it's clinically correct, you know, probably shouldn't matter. But Jeff was adamant mm -hmm. that it needed to be customized. And it turns out he was right because when it's customized to radiologists, it's a lot easier for them to look at it, proofread it, and sign off on it because it feels like them. Otherwise, they make so many edits to it that you end up not saving all that much time after yeah. all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. And just for people who might be listening and aren't as familiar with radiology workflow, the do doing of the study and the look study by the radiologist is the knowledge part, but creating the report that goes to the referring clinician and nowadays more and more to the patients themselves is really the output. And it's quite mm -hmm. potentially time-consuming, highly inconsistent, very personalized. Mm -hmm. And so these tools that help radiologists move more efficiently are really interesting. And it's not a space, to your point, you, I think you were the first, like I met you at RSNA in 2019, <laughs> so you were pretty new. And I don't think there's anybody else on that floor that was thinking about the reporting workflow. Most of the interest was around algorithms that could spot findings in the studies themselves, which most radiologists, I think the value proposition, as Jeff said, is maybe debatable. A little clear for some use cases that have evolved. But this aspect is very obvious because if radiologists can move more efficiently, they can do more studies with less effort, a little less burnout, and there's real ROI there. But I will say in medicine and healthcare, and I'm curious about your thoughts moving from other entrepreneurial ventures into the health tech space, um, sometimes the ideas that are great and are elegant and make total intuitive sense to everybody still struggle to get commercial traction for a lot of reasons that are not very sexy. How have you found that process and compared to consumer tech or other things you've done, has it been a little bit of a revelation, an evolution? Like what's that been like for you? Yeah, that's a great question. It is funny because coming from the hardware space, um, and everyone says hardware is hard, and I would agree hardware is very hard. So coming from that space, healthcare is actually not as bad, at least in our experience so far. And I think that's where that 
piece of the sort of the domain expertise matters, right? Because Jeff, having that domain expertise helped us quite a bit mm-hmm. in, in understanding what we were building and how it was going to be helpful to radiologists. There, there are oftentimes, at least in, in the way that we've approached this, we have this unheard of sales cycle of 99 days in healthcare and in radiology even specifically. We know a lot of folks have struggled to commercialize the products, but I can tell you our revenues are tripling year over year. And a lot of that, I think, is because of the fact that we built something that has actual value. And it's not to say that the others are building things that don't have value. I think the reality is some of the things that are being built are sort of solutions looking for a problem, oftentimes, is what ends up happening. Like There's an interesting engineering challenge that people want to solve, but then they don't quite understand how it fits into radiology. So they end up building these things while, I think, interesting from a technology perspective, don't add any value. And so I think the reason why Radii has been unique in this and our impression product has been unique here is because there is clear value that you can see when you use the product. And it usually happens on day one or day two. Like you start to see it, you use it, and you're like, oh, of course, this is valuable. And unlike a lot of the image analysis algorithms, this is something that works on every study. So it's not, it doesn't just apply to a subset of exams. This is used on every study. So again, it becomes part of your workflow. And that is something where, and we've now we create all sorts of analytics around usage. So we can see, and so far what we've found is that we're saving radiologists a median of one hour per nine hour shift. So that's quite meaningful. And the reduction Mm -hmm. in burnout, I think that is another thing that oftentimes it's funny because as we talk to radiology groups, I think initially the attractiveness of our product has to do with the efficiency gains, but very quickly what they start to realize is there's a pretty big component around the reduction in fatigue and burnout. And I'm sure I don't have to tell you right now, radiologists are definitely at this breaking point where volumes continue to increase, reimbursements continue to decline. It's just this perfect storm of problems, I think, ahead. And without technology, it's hard to see how radiologists get more help. We found that the reduction in burnout was actually the thing that stuck out the most. We have analytics around the efficiency gains and all of that, but ultimately, I think a combination of those things has led to a lot of groups saying, you know what? And oftentimes, Jared, we're the first AI company a lot of these groups have partnered with. In fact, this is the thing, if you look around radiology, sometimes given how many companies there are in the AI and radiology space, I had the impression that all these groups were using AI in some way. That's kind of the impression I had. But no, it turns out a lot of them are not using AI. And most of them, even if they are testing AI, it's really, they're just they're testing it, but none of them are using it in production. And they're certainly not paying for it in a lot of these cases. I think that started to change more recently. To be clear, I think now there are definitely more and more companies that have found solutions that do add value. But for a long time, it it was a struggle, I think, for a lot of companies. And we found that relatively early just because the product, I think, provided that clear value. And the other thing about RAD AI, the first product that we built... It's actually a very hard problem to solve 
Because again, it took us two and a half years. We had a lot of interest from even large companies that love what we're doing with automated impressions, want to do it themselves, tried it and figured out that it's not that easy. And yeah. so as a result, I think the data moat there is also something <laughs> to consider. We have one of the largest radiology report training sets in the world. And that has helped us in making sure that our models both perform well and over time, performance of the models gets better. So we're constantly working to improve our models each and every day. The thing that strikes me is, you know, your pathway to success has been both a bottoms up approach where radiologists love this and are delighted by it, which by itself probably wouldn't be sufficient, although the burnout issue is real. I'm not sure people really understand how to engineer and invest against that, but it's also a top down sell cycle, right? Because there's efficiency gains for the department. Uh, and I wonder, is there some lessons in that you might share with other entrepreneurs looking at the health tech space, who the stakeholders in these dynamic deal-making scenarios are? You've got private practice radiology groups, radiologists who work in various kinds of health provider networks, small, big, medium. It's a pretty diverse field. We often just think about the big hospitals, but that's not actually where most imaging is done. And the stakeholders are pretty radically different. So I imagine as you have these conversations, the thing you double down on in terms of the ROI on the investment is probably a little bit different. So any insights on that you think others might find useful? Yeah. So right now we're partnered and contracted with almost 20% of the US radiology market. So we've really had an opportunity to see how these conversations play out. And right now, I mean, we're generating over a million radiology reports per month now. So, I mean, that part has also been uh, just amazing to watch the growth there. Um, it was a little counterintuitive to me. We had a lot of groups where the executives at the group thought that the solution was a great idea. And so they bought onto a trial of the solution only to find out that the radiologist hated it and didn't want to use it. So even if you have buy-in at the executive level, if your end users are radiologists, in this case they were, and they don't want to use the product, there is no way to force them to use the product. I mean, you can certainly force them, but I will tell you there are lots of complaints and we were hearing from executives. Well. <laughs> exactly. It does not go well. You know this all too well, I'm sure. <laughs> that does not go well. And so we really had to think about what strategy we wanted to use. And what we found was if you can delight radiologists, like if you can start there, let's just make radiologists' lives better. And if they want to use the product, then the executive team will essentially fall in line and want to then also, because they're at that point, that's when you move more to the economic value. Then you can talk mm -hmm. more about the efficiency and how it does, the reduction in burnout does matter to the group. And it's, as long as you can show some examples of how that's manifested itself at other groups, I mean, they're more than happy to do that. So for us, I think that's been the driver of this. And I, we have testimonial after testimonial of radiologists who use the product and love it. And so now we're at the point we used to have to do a lot of reference calls to get customers to buy in. Now, given that we have over 100 partnerships, we're working with eight of the top 10 radiology groups in the US, it's no longer, people aren't like 
wondering if this is something that's valuable. Now they know it's valuable. And since we invented the space, I think there's a lot of confidence. We've built a lot of credibility and goodwill with the partners. And that's one thing I'd highlight too. I think as we think about how to work with, really, this is true for any industry, but we've treated our our customers like partners. And this was very intentional from the beginning because we always knew that the impression product, the first product was not the only product we were going to build. That was just a nice way for us to get into the workflow of the radiologist. So then we can figure out what other things we can build that could also add value to radiologists. And so because we had that in mind, we took a very deliberate approach to sort of building on top of this over time. So as we think about the industry and how things are evolving, it's going to become, I think, even more important over the next couple of years to kind of have these solutions that are not just like one-off, but how do you build more of a platform? And now we have three different products in the market today, and a lot of them have been built from the feedback we get from radiologists and our partners and treating them like partners, then they're not treating us like vendors. And so ultimately, we build this great relationship and have created a lot of goodwill with them to where whatever we release, they're very excited about because they believe that the work we've done with our first few products just is a testament of how we work. And so hopefully that continues. And I think a a big part of that um, is really just if you build a great team, and I can't, I think, I don't think I can overstate this. The team ultimately matters a lot here, right? And we have been very intentional about the folks we bring onto the team. And I feel privileged every day that I get to work with such amazingly talented people. And in fact, recently, we, for the first time, we acquired a company in the radiology space. It was called Equium Intelligence. And there were two radiologists that were the founders of that. And there are a few other folks to be clear, but there's like the main founders of Equium. And we found that in in doing that acquisition, a lot of it had to do with some of the products they were building around the ability to forecast demand in radiology. We saw their products as being complementary to some of the things that we're doing on our radiology workless product. So we decided to join forces there and bringing them onto the team has added immense value because now we have three radiologists on our executive team and all amazing folks that both, again, I think it can't be understated that the importance of understanding radiology, but also the technology piece and the AI piece. And so by bringing on both Bill and Wujin as part of that acquisition has been great because they have a lot of insights into radiology from like the academic setting because that's where Bill comes from. So he has a lot of insights into how it works in at the academic medical centers. And then we also, as part of that acquisition, brought on some great and talented engineers. So I couldn't be happier with, as acquisitions go, couldn't be happier with the outcome there. I think this year and the next year, as funding becomes more difficult to come by, I do think we'll see more opportunities for companies to join forces. And so we're sort of excited about the opportunity to bring on more folks in that way too. Yeah, you've got a real amazing team and that is a hard thing to pull off. I love the idea of delighting radiologists. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say those two words together. 
And it does seem that your first product, the impression generation, has really been the engine that's driving the business. But now you are branching into these new areas, the acquisition and some other work you're doing. What's the future for Rad AI? How are you going to continue to delight radiologists and deliver value? That's a great question as well, Jared. You're asking all these great questions. I love the questions. These are great. And it's, it's a question we often ask ourselves. How do we continue to innovate as we get more and more perspectives in the room? That's why I think, again, the value of Jeff by himself is and was amazing. But Jeff has this one perspective as a radiologist. Now we have all these different perspectives internally on our team. And we have other radiologists who are not on the executive team, but are adjacent and are with RadiEye as a company. And so we have a lot of radiologists involved in the whole process of this. And as we branch out into other products, what we're doing is just listening to what our customers need, right? I know it's a novel concept, but just making sure that we understand their pain points. And we still think there are so many opportunities for us to add value we're only scratching the surface. And that's where we believe that over time, we're really building more of this sort of platform where more and more of these things can plug in. And we see ourselves as being able to create something where others can also plug into it too. It's not like this closed system. We want to get to the point where whatever we build, we make it easy for our partners, whether they be radiology groups or other vendors to be able to plug in what they're doing, if they're able to add value, we should embrace that and make sure that there's like the, an open system that everyone can sort of integrate into. So that's one of the things I think that I'm excited about in the future as we think about now we, where we'll have almost four products in the market by the end of this year. Being a small company, it's hard to do one product well, much less four. four. And so we've definitely taken on a lot. But the reason we're excited is a lot of it is driven by the customer demand for these things. And where there are pain points, we do feel like we can fill them in. And the large language models, I think, again, we invented the, the auto impression space back in 20, 2018, 2019. But I think those are going to continue to evolve and add value in a variety of ways. So we're excited about the future of large language models. We're also excited about the future in which a lot of this sort of, uh, again, the tedious work that radiologists need to do that can be automated. We're looking at many ways around billing and errors and so many things that we can do to help. So excited about all those areas, but continue to add on to the products we have. So the auto impression product, we have a follow-up manager called Continuity that essentially allows you to ensure that you're closing the loop on incidental findings. We're adding more and more to that. And then the AI-enabled smart work list, RadiAI Nexus, that's another one where we see a lot of opportunity because we've had a lot of customers tell us that the solutions they have right now are just not working for their needs. So how can we ensure that they can get the product they need? And so, yeah, I'm really excited about what's to come in the next couple of years. Yeah, that's great. Really love the ability to listen to customers partner with them and iterate towards stuff that delivers real value. It seems obvious, but you don't see it very often. I think we could probably spend a lot of time talking about generative AI. You guys were ahead of the curve there and the world has moved towards you. And what that means for healthcare is 
I think TBD, but I, the solutions like what you've built are going to become more prevalent across all of healthcare, not just radiology. I'll give you like maybe 60 seconds to opine on that. Oh. It's so relevant right now. Yeah. I mean, generative AI, there are just so many different opportunities there. And essentially being a, an early pioneer there, I think one of the things, and this is true for a lot of areas in technology, we spent now five years on this, getting it to the point where it is valuable to radiologists. I think sometimes it looks like there's an easy shortcut to get there with some of these things, but the reality is it's easy to get like 70% of the way there, but mm. then that last 30% or even the last, like, especially the last 10%, really hard to get to. And so sometimes we see these folks that are like, oh, you could just use generative AI to do this or generative AI to do that. And as you look at the different areas where it causes hallucinations and all these, other, I think you have to be very careful about how you approach these things. We've spent, again, five years just getting it to the point where we feel comfortable that it's providing the right output and it's very controlled and measured. It's not being trained on internet data, right? This is actually being trained specifically. We know exactly what the source of the data is and how it's being trained. So all of that to us has been the ways in which we ensure the quality and understand the output that we expect from the models. And we do a lot of testing and there's constant sort of monitoring all this. But I think that's one of the things I worry about generative AI is that you're going to have a lot of folks that are just slapping some things together and then calling it a product. And then I worry that it can cause problems in the market because those are going to be dangerous when you're thinking about healthcare. You really have to be careful about that. Got to keep the bar high for healthcare, no doubt. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure talking. Thank you for sharing your journey and the work you're doing. Really inspiring stuff. And I'll see you at the next RSNA, probably, I guess, is the next one. <laughs> Sounds um, good, Jared. Yeah. Thank you for having me. So, this was great. Thanks for joining us today for the AWS Health Innovation Podcast. If you want to get in touch with AWS, please check out our show notes where you can find a link. The best way to support the podcast is to share it with your colleagues and friends. We also appreciate your reviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have ideas on how we can improve the show, please do let us know. Our feedback survey is in the show notes. See you next week when we'll be speaking with Adrian Aoun from Forward Healthcare, who provides a primary care membership that takes healthcare to a new level. 24-7 access, biometric monitoring, genetic testing, personalized plans, and more. Take care. See you next week.